Hi, Hear the Redragons listeners. We are trying something a little bit different this week. We're about halfway through this season, so we wanted to take a pause and release one of the many episodes that Patreon subscribers get as a part of their subscription. This was the second mini-episode, and it is an excellent companion to episode two of the series. You might remember in that episode, there was a woman named Paulina who told us a story of how she was assaulted by neo-Nazis in the 1990s while she was on public transit with her family. We followed up with the investigative journalist that helped her report her assault to the police. His name is Bose Lindquist. We want to also thank our Patreon subscribers and encourage you, if you're on the fence, support us. We are an independent podcast and we are so pleased and proud to bring this type of content to you. So without further ado, please open your ears for Bose Lindquist. My name is Pussy Lindqvist and I'm a documentary filmmaker working for Swedish public public service TV. At that time, at that point of time in the 90s, the Nazis were quite violent and they had these, there were these regular uh, demonstrations a couple of times a year where they celebrated some hero and would go <laughs> smashing things up and beating people up and with the police doing very little. And it was a very violent time generally in Sweden. There were, there were a number of murders and a number of people killed by neo-Nazis. It was much more violent then than it is today. And again, the police did very little about these investigations as well. So I just read this sort of eight-liner thing in the newspaper and, and thought that I should investigate what was behind that story. I thought it was so extraordinary. I mean, she was she was just this basically very young woman who alone stood up against a couple of hundred of, of neo-Nazi violent hooligans and, and protected her grandfather and and the kid sibling and, and mother from this horde of, of, of guys. And she, I mean, I, I think it was in a, sort of an in enormous bravery. And um, she was surprised because she hadn't, she had had no reactions to, to what happened that evening, which was, you know, really, really traumatic. She had gone to the police with, with her family just after the incident. They didn't take down, uh, uh, what's the term, uh, when you make a report, when you... Um, her complaint? Yeah, her complaint. And then uh, we decided that we would confront the police together. So so that was a couple of weeks later. And I went up together with Paulina to that police station. And, uh, and we said that uh, we wanted to see the report that she had made and to know why nothing was happening. I mean, it was well known, well documented that the these hundreds of neo-Nazis actually had descended on the subway station at that very moment. And smashed the uh, cars at the subway station etc so 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 it was clear that that, that something had happened and uh, the police uh, claimed that no report had been made and and uh, while I was I was recording the conversation with the police and with her and and then they became aggressive and uh, uh, threw us out Bose 
Busse made an hour-long radio documentary about Paulina's story. You can hear excerpts in episode 2. And if you speak Swedish and want to listen to the whole thing, you'll find a link in the reading room on our website. Unfortunately, Bose explained that the documentary had very little effect on Paulina's case. Sweden hadn't really woken up yet. There was sort of this, there was this uh, predominant uh, view that, that we don't have racism in Sweden. We are, we are very egalitarian. We are the most egalitarian nation in, in, in the world, sort of. It was sort of that it was not part of the Swedish self-image that we actually had these things that they were going on. So I think that was also, that changed, but that took uh, maybe five, ten years more before it was very clear that we had this, uh, this real threat uh, in Sweden. Neo-Nazis were a real problem in Sweden in the 1990s. Their presence in the center of Stockholm shaped a lot of people's understanding of the city. We asked Bosse to give us a bit more context about the attacks perpetrated at that time. This uh, 16-year-old boy called John Ron of Yugoslav descent, and who happened to be out in the countryside uh, in the summer by a lake to take a swim uh, late at night. And uh, five neo-Nazis appeared who were looking for someone to beat up, and they slowly killed him that night. And so that, that was sort of one of these cases. And uh, several of them were of known homosexuals. There was, there was this ice hockey, very, very skilled ice hockey player. And uh, so he was clearly targeted, sort of killed with 67 knife, uh, whatever you call that, slashed 67 times. So it, so it was a mix. Sometimes it was like with Paulina, that was just random, that they... They were they were hoping to find someone with you know with, with dark complexion and uh, uh, there she was and or, or darker complexion and and um, sometimes it was very much targeted. There were there was an, a number of different events, partly connected, partly not. There, there were, for example, this really hardcore group who had been uh, uh, doing different. I mean, they had been beating people up, they had been slashing people, they had been done different things. But then they um, robbed the bank, and during the car chase after robbing the bank, they uh, uh, assassinated two policemen in, in cold blood. So there were a couple of such things that happened that forced people to, to face the facts that who they really were. So, but it was a number of killings. It took, it took a long time. It took maybe 10 years. Are you aware of any other cases of violence from the neo-Nazis which the police refused or forgot or lost the, the official complaints? I'm, I'm sure there are other cases because it, it was very clear that the police were ignoring the, the, these kinds of um, uh, happenings. And I, I did a bit of writing on these things and I looked at a couple of the, the criminal cases and how they were handled. For example, the ice hockey player who was killed by 67 slashes and, and, and the police were doing an incredibly poor job. They, they were not taking the the threats seriously, they were not, the killers were neo-Nazis. They had been very clearly uh, explaining why they killed him uh, from ideological reasons. 
And the police just ignored that. They completely ignored the ideological factor in the killing. They did um, very superficial, uh, lousy interrogations where they where they missed these obvious things. One guy, I remember one of the one of the gang members who had these Confederate flags in his room and had all these symbols all over his walls. And the policemen didn't even notice them. They didn't take that down. They didn't, you know. So, so there was the, so the, the ideological component was uh, made invisible. Was it common then that there was no police around the demonstrations? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was the normal, that was normalcy, that, that, that the police were in too few numbers and that they were sort of treating them with kids' gloves. They, they, and I think they really saw them as sort of their, their uh, brothers, young, wayward uh, sons. They didn't see the ideology, what they were saying. They just saw them as young guys that could have been themselves or been, they could have been related to them. I think it's a little bit like in the U.S. today. I mean, where the police seems somewhat baffled by white extremism and uh, and uh, the kind of violence that you saw, for example, you know, recently uh, from right-wing white people. And in Sweden, um, there has been. I mean, Nazism has been around for, for as long as it's it's been in existence. I mean, Sweden and Germany were parallel. Though of course they were, it was much more violent and virulent in in Germany than in Sweden, and then because we had the luck in different ways to stay out of the war, and we didn't have the Germans here actually uh, doing anything. So uh, eventually, when the when the Germans uh, started losing the war, and when this, the true story of what happened in Germany sort of surfaced. Then Nazism became got out of vogue in Sweden, and uh, but it it remained sort of in the undercurrent. There were there were always these groups that that have this history since the 30s and the 40s, and uh, they were lying low during the 50s, 60s, 70s, which was sort of you know the heyday for the most socialist communist uh, parties in in this part of the world, and then started to to rise again in the 80s and uh, had a peak in the 90s with a couple of, of uh, hardcore groups that were quite organized and who uh, amassed weapons, uh, did some bank robberies to, to get funds. And there were a number of killings, really, really bad killings. And at that point, the police did, didn't... They, 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 uh, it's hard to say why, but the Nazis were not on their radar, whether that was because they were sympathizing with them slightly, uh, somewhere perhaps. Uh, maybe it's also because the police were predominantly white, uh, ethnic Swedes at that time, and so were the uh, Nazis. So I, I think at least some of the policemen that I met and talked to about these things, these, these things it was clear that they had, they could sort of, they felt that they were more kin to the Nazis rather than their their victims, which and the victims obviously were, you know, the usual uh, uh, homosexuals, uh, uh, people from South America, Africa were, were sort of the opposite of of, of uh, what the neo Nazis thought were were something different. 